Take your Bible, if you would, please. Find the 10th chapter of the book of John today. John chapter 10. I know you've been there a couple of times. I believe this is the third time that you will make your way to this chapter. And I sure would appreciate you being able to have a Bible today. I need you to be able to read the Scripture, a very tender message that God has for us this morning. I do not, I do believe that for a little while, this will be the last time I will preach to you from the series of the Gospel of John. Uh, I think next week the Lord will allow me to transition into the Christmas season. Then from the Christmas season to transition into the new year. I don't know about you, but I don't think there's ever been a year more than I'm ready to get rid of than 2020. And looking forward to 2021. And then as we transition into the new year, we'll transition into preparing ourselves for revival. Revival is not something you just show up and you're here. Revival is something that will dictate and determine a personal spiritual work on your part prior to getting there. Revival will help you and will do that work, but I'll teach you some things that we do as believers to prepare our hearts and minds to be revived and renewed. And so that will take us into January. And so it may even be as late as February before we get back into, um, no, because I'll have to take two or three weeks and prepare you for my birthday. It'll be March. <laughs> J- just, kid- just kidding about that. Sometimes, Pastor Ruben, he always asks me for the title of the message, and I think he puts it out online. And so people will know in the passage of Scripture and sometimes it's not easy to come up with a title, right? And then sometimes when you come up with a title, um, and I see it on the screen there, I think nobody's coming to church to hear that message on, on that title. And I chose as a title today um, the title of Sheep, Grateful Sheep. You see it there. Last week I preached to you a message on the Good Shepherd. And of course, we identified the Good Shepherd as the Lord Jesus identified himself. Follow up with that, in the verses following, I wanted to preach today a message on grateful sheep. Um, You'll remember the title when the message is over, but I, I hope and pray that you give me your ear and you give me your concentration. Physically, I don't, I'm not able to demand it today. So you'll have to give it to me, and I would beg you to do that. Pick up, if you would, please, in John chapter 10, verse number 22, as we continue in this chapter. The Bible says, and it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. Now, you folks that live in South Florida, you don't know what winter is, but the Greek word there is freezing cold, okay? Just kidding about that. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him, which would be customary for that, and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us, Plainly, Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. 
The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you believe not. Because you're not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. If you're a sheep of the Lord, you should say amen right there, brother. I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck, snatch them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Hallelujah. I and my Father are, say the word, one. Your Bible better say one there. If you have any other word other than one there, this is why we use the King James Bible. One. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of these works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou being a man makest thyself say it. God. The reason he made himself to be God is because he is God. He's the God man. I think we'll stop our reading right there. You can't read it too easily in the text, but between verses 21 and verse 22, Bible scholars tell us that there's some months that go between these two verses. John picks up at the Feast of the Dedication. If you have a habit of writing in your Bible, and maybe your study Bible has already done this for you, by verse number 22, you might want to write the passage Ezra, chapter 6, verse number 16. Ezra records this dedication of the house of God with joy that happened when they were coming back to build the temple after being in the Babylonian captivity. The Jews had set up this feast of the dedication. Uh, God had enabled a beautiful thing about the Jewish people for them to celebrate and commemorate and set up such events to remember who God is and what God had done in their life. This, I think, would be a great thing for God's people to learn today. John makes sure to tell us that it was winter time. The reason that you need to know that it was winter time is because of where the Lord Jesus is walking in this moment. You're told by John that he was walking um, in the temple in Solomon's porch. Now, I've had the wonderful privilege to be on the Temple Mount last time we went to Israel. We're told by Josephus, who is the the Jewish historian, 
that when Titus came in to destroy the city of Jerusalem and he destroyed the temple, that the only thing left standing was a little part of the porch of Solomon. If you could picture the temple building itself and then picture a a wall that goes around the temple with a courtyard there, on these walls there's a veranda. Just picture a roof, picture pillars, picture just walking on a porch. Um, It was custom to walk this walk in the middle of winter time because of the way that it was designed for protection from the elements. And here we find the Lord Jesus not walking inside the walls of the temple, but outside under Solomon's porch. It's also not just customary for the walk in the winter, but it's also customary for what happened to the Lord Jesus in Solomon's porch. If you look at verse number 23, the Bible says, And as Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, then came the Jews round about him. Now this is important and obvious because the Solomon's porch is where the Jews would gather for discussion on religious matters. This would be like classrooms. This is where you would go to talk politics. This is where you would go to talk religion. This is where rabbis would be sometimes outside of the temple there. And so it was a custom for being known as a place of discussion. In keeping with that custom, Jesus is approached by the Jews in verse number 24, and they come to ask him a question. Now, if you've been with me for some time and you've been in the Gospel of John series, you know that the questions that the Jews asked the Lord Jesus, very rarely were they without a hidden agenda or a motive. Many of the times the questions were asked so that they could find some way to accuse him, or they could find some problem within his answer that would break the law or that would expose him in an inability way of who he is. And so here you find that they come and they ask him a question. How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. You can imagine, for those of you that have been with me for some time, had Jesus answered their que- this question on their terms, what they would have done. Immediately they would have cried out, blasphemy. Immediately they would have attacked him and had him arrested. Let me just stop right here and say something. I think we need to hear a couple things. I'm glad that God doesn't always work on my terms. Very rarely do you find God working on the terms of humanity. God has terms within his divine will. And God works according to his terms. So many times people dismiss Jesus or God because they do not figure that he worked on their terms. I would submit to you that hell will be filled with people who insisted... That God show himself on their terms. Tell us plainly. Why do you make us doubt? Doubt is not something that the Lord Jesus would ever bring to you. Doubt is not something that he would ever cause. His yea is yea, his nay is nay. 
He is truth and he speaks the truth. Doubt is a tool that Satan will always use in your life. Just go back to the Garden of Gethsemane, or, or, or to the Garden of Eden, and you will find that that's how he approached Eve in her moment. Approached her with doubt about the goodness of God. The question has a hidden agenda. The question is is accusing the Lord of being mysterious, deceitful, dishonest distant speak to us plainly in essence the reason we can't believe is because it's your fault let me stop right here never is unbelief the fault of God it's always the fault of humanity we have here a question designed The hidden agenda, disguised by what they would call honest doubt. In reality, it was dishonest unbelief. There is a difference between doubting and sheer unbelief. When you think about what they're asking... You can understand what Jesus said to them in the following verse. Look, if you would, please. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them. What are the next three words, please? I told you. I told you. What more could Jesus say? What more could he do? They had witnessed the healing of a man born blind. They had witnessed the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. They had seen all the wonderful works that he had done. They had heard the life-giving message in words. What more could Jesus do? Jesus, it's your fault that we don't believe. Jesus would say, excuse me. It's not my fault you don't believe. It's your fault you don't believe. Look, if you would, at verse number 25. I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but ye believe not. I find this to be so true of people. They want to accuse Jesus of some fault to hide or mask or disguise their unbelief. In essence, what is Jesus telling these Jews? He's telling them, if you will not believe what I have already said and done, if you will not admit that the works that I do in my Father's name prove that I am Messiah, the Son of God, then what else could I do? There's nothing I could do to convince you. Jesus is exposing this is not a moment of convincing. This is a moment of rebellion. Jesus is exposing them in their unbelief, their willful unbelief. Could I just ask you a question? Is this you? Is this you? Are you the type of person sitting out there saying, 
you know what? I would just believe God if he would just do this one more thing. You know, Pastor, I, I, would, I, I, I would really be convinced if he could just make me healthy, make me wealthy. If he could just, if he could, if, if he could just speak to me audibly, if he, if he could just, if he could just do one more thing. In reality, he's done everything he needs to do for you to come to him to find salvation. You know you're a sinner. You know what sin is. You know who God is. You know his grace, you know his mercy, you know his love, you know his payment for your sin, you know his death, you know his burial, you know his resurrection. With all of the kindnesses of pastor's heart, let me ask you, what in the stinking world would he have to do more? What could he do that would somehow, okay, I'm in? No. No. There's a big difference between doubt and unbelief. Jesus is exposing them. Keep reading if you would. He tells them in verse number 26, But ye believe not, because you're not of my sheep. As I said unto you, Jesus here is exposing the fact that these persons were not among Christ's sheep. Being not among Christ's sheep was not the cause of their unbelief. Their unbelief was evidence that they were not of Christ's sheep. Jesus said clearly in John chapter 5, verse number 40, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have life, but you, you will not come unto me. They were not of his sheep, not because they were not elected or predestined, but because of their unbelief. Believe, but ye believe not, because you're not of my sheep, as I said unto you, What is he telling them? He's telling them you're not believers. You're not Christians. You're not in the fold of God. Now this message gets very personal. Very controversial. But I hope it has great power. Verse 27. My sheep. I love that phrase. Because this is how the Lord Jesus speaks of those that have come to him. All true believers are, are the sheep of the pasture of the Lord Jesus. All true believers have as the shepherd of our souls the Lord Jesus Christ. My sheep. Jesus calls us my sheep. Every born-again believer is the personal possession of the good shepherd. Every born-again believer has been purchased by the blood of the life that was given of the shepherd. We, as believers, belong to the shepherd. We have surrendered our rights, 
our identity and our ownership. No longer do we demand our own. We submit to the shepherd. If he's your shepherd, say amen. My sheep. It is a privilege to be called one of the sheep of the Lord Jesus. Understand, he's standing in front of Jews, pious, arrogant, self-righteous, manipulative, got him in the corner of Solomon's porch. Let's have a discussion. Tell us plainly. Jesus says, I have told you. You want to hide behind doubt. I'm exposing your unbelief. The reason you don't hear what I'm saying. Is because you don't belong to me. You're not one of my sheep. By the way. If you were going to be one of his sheep in his fold. You had to come through him the door. Amen. Jesus says, let me, let me tell you a little bit about my sheep. First, they belong to me. You keep reading in the verse. They hear my voice. This means that the true child of God hears the word of God. The true child of God hears the voice of the spirit of God within them. When the voice cries out to repent, we repent. When the voice calls out to rejoice, we rejoice. My sheep hear my voice. These people to whom Jesus is speaking would not hear his voice. They would not come to him when he called. Therefore, they were not of his sheep. Remember, Jesus said about the sheep, they know the shepherd's voice. The shepherd would come into the fold and there would be multiple sheep, uh, different, different sheep uh, owners, sheep in there. And the shepherd would come and he would call his sheep by name. If another shepherd came and called the same sheep by the same name, they would not know his voice. So they would run from the stranger But the true sheep would run to the shepherd. These Jews were running from the voice of Christ because he was a stranger to them. He was not their shepherd. Let me just pause right here and say this. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. True Christian people obey the word of God. True believers hear the voice of God, not audibly, but in my spirit. They hear my voice. Jesus said, I know them. I know them by name, I know them in their personality, I know them in the depth of their heart. I know them through the time I spend with them. I know what breaks their heart. I know what encourages them. I know what they need. I know when they need it. I know them and they follow me. 
by the way, was such a good shepherd, why would you not follow him? And they follow me. Jesus is the good shepherd, and the true believers like sheep follow their shepherd. Now stay with me. Here we go. He's contrasting these Jews to true believers. He's the shepherd. You're not speaking to us. Yes, I am. You're not hearing me. Well, pastor, what do you mean they're not hearing him? They're not hearing him with faith. They're not hearing him with obedience. Well, tell us, tell us plainly, not, not, so, not so mystified there. No, the word of God is plain. It just comes with truth and with faith and with power. By the way, the reason you can't hear me is because you're not my sheep. I told you, my sheep hear me. They know me. They follow me. And then I love verse number 28. And I give unto them, say those two words, class. And they shall never perish. That word perish is to be lost, to be destroyed. When I hear that word perish, I immediately think of, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And no man, neither shall any man Pluck them out of my hand. What a truth. The good shepherd gives unto his sheep eternal life. Let's talk just a moment about what this is so we're clear, right? When you study the scripture, you will find that Jesus is eternal life. You will find that he and he alone is the only one that can give eternal life. I want you to notice the tense of the verse. Jesus said, I give unto them. Not I have given, past tense. Not I will give, future tense. The tense that he's speaking of is present tense. So let me just ask if you understand eternal life. When did you get eternal life? When will you know eternal life? When does eternal life happen in your life? Well, pastor, when I, when I die, I go to eternal life. That's not in the Bible. Eternal life is not something you go to. Well, Pastor, you know, I don't really know if I can, if, if I, about when I'm going to have eternal life. I'm just, I'm just hoping I get eternal life. Eternal life is not something you hope for. Eternal life is something you know you have. Eternal life is the present possession of every born-again believer. It is the, etern- the present possession of the blood-washed child of God. Born-again believers have eternal life 
now. If that's you, say amen. We're not hoping to receive eternal life at the end of this life. Well, you know, Pastor, I'm just hoping my good works outdo my bad works. Fat chance. None of us are waiting till after we die to pray, hope I get to heaven. The Bible says that heaven can be my assured hope now. Jesus said, my sheep, I give them eternal life. The present tense. What a joy, what a blessing, what a privilege, what an honor, what peace to know that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know right now that I have eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So let me just ask you a question. Do you know that you have eternal life right now? I I don't know. I don't know, Pastor. I didn't think anybody could know. My friend, everybody can know. Because eternal life is something that Jesus gives to you the moment you come to him. And it is your ever eternal present privilege. On top of receiving eternal life. Jesus says to them about his sheep, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Now hear Jesus, and this is where this message gets controversial. Here Jesus speaks about the security of the child of God or the sheep that are in the fold of the Lord Jesus. Here Jesus begins to teach a doctrine that we call eternal security. Let me just say right at the outset, because in a moment it's going to sound differently. Pastor Hunter, the deacons of this church, the statement of faith of Plantation Baptist Church, and the people of Plantation Baptist Church, we believe in the doctrine of eternal security. What does that mean, Pastor? That means once you have become a sheep of the Lord Jesus, You can never be outside of the fold of the Lord Jesus. Pastor, that made no sense. Help me better. That means once God has saved you, you can never be lost. Once you've been saved, you can never lose that salvation. Now listen very carefully because the old preacher used to say, when they would ask, Pastor, can I lose my salvation? The old preacher would say, yes, you can. Sometimes I do that to people. They'll ask me, can, can we lose our salvation? I'll say, of course you can lose your salvation, but you can never lose God's salvation. Just think a second. Why would you quib people like that, Pastor? You believe in eternal security? Absolutely. Would you die for it? Absolutely. But many people are saved by someone else other than God. Huh? Sure. Sure. Now the salvation they have apart from God's salvation is not eternal life. Because only God's salvation gives eternal life. But people save themselves with their money. Their checkbook. They save themselves with their good works. They save themselves with their church attendance. They save themselves with water baptism. They save themselves with doing good. 
They save themselves with some type of sacrifice. They save themselves with some type of religion. And all of those things do provide some type of salvation to the mind. But none of those things provide salvation from our sin. And so if you're going to trust that salvation, you're going to lose. But when you've been redeemed by God and you come to the Lord Jesus as the door, the way, the truth, and life, and you believe upon him by faith, and God works in you the work of salvation, he cleanses you from your sin, he washes you in the blood, and he creates you new in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, no one or no thing can ever cause us to lose that. Right? I give unto my sheep eternal life. And they'll never perish. Paul said, no one or no thing can ever separate me from the love of God. No sin, no difficulty can ever remove God's salvation from my life. And Jesus went on to say, no man will pluck them out of my hand. But he later said, I and the Father are one. So no man will pluck them out of my Father's hand either. So really and truthfully, as Jesus holds on to me, the Father holds on to all of us. And I'm telling you something, that's security, brother. Let me say a couple things about the doctrine of eternal security. The way that it gets attacked. Some people teach, well, if you sin after you've been saved... You lose God's salvation and you got to be resaved. That is not in the Bible. Okay? No. When you got saved, all your past, all your present, and all your future sins were cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. They were all redeemed, right? You were redeemed from them. So when I, as a Christian, do I sin sometimes? Yes. Does that mean I got to go back and get resaved? No, but that does mean that my fellowship is broken with the Lord. My communion is broken with the Lord. And I have to take that individual sin and I got to go get it right with God. When you got saved, you didn't go to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I want you to forgive me for when I lied to my mother, for when I stole from my brother, when I punched out my friend, when I robbed those people, when I looked at that dirty picture. You didn't name all your individual sins, right? That's not how you get saved. You came to God and said, forgive me for being a sinner. And he redeemed you. After you've been saved, now the individual sins you bring from 1 John 1, 9, and you find cleansing and restoration from them. The second way the doctrine gets attacked is something called antinomianism. Antinomianism is a big word that kind of wears against law, and really this is what it means. It, it speaks to the fact of a Christian living in sin. And so here's what people say. Well, because I'm saved and I'm not going to go to hell, then I can live however I want to live. It's interesting. People actually think this. Maybe this is you. Well, I'm saved, so now I can be a whoremonger, I can be an adulterer, I can be a fornicator, 
I can be a thief. I can be a liar. I can be rebellious. I can do anything I want to do because I've got God's grace. Okay. Not only is that mentality totally against God's word, it's against the nature of God and it's probably evidence that you're not a believer anyway. Okay? Eternal security provides just that for the child of God that until that final glorification process of my salvation when I'm freed from this sinful body, I still fall sometimes. And that fall was not caused me to lose the salvation that God has. It gives me wonderful peace, wonderful rest, wonderful hope. It enables me to know forgiveness and cleansing and those things. But it does not enable me to live like hell. Even the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6 said, Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Now, we would all agree as believers, we're saved by God's grace. But the mentality that says, well, I got saved when I was five, and now you're 55, and you've lived through your 20s and your 30s and your 40s like hell, and you think just because you prayed a prayer back here that you're okay, and you you somehow have God's grace in order to live couple of things about that. Number one, if you truly are a child of God and you sin against God and you don't confess that sin, then he as a loving father is going to beat your blessed assurance. Right? So, so wicked is that mindset. It's against the nature of God. There is loss in eternal security. It's not God's salvation that we lose. But it can be the loss. The Bible speaks of the loss of our reward. So for a Christian that truly has been saved. But we don't serve the Lord. And we don't live our lives in the preeminency of the Lord Jesus. And we, we get off base. And the Lord chastens us or whatever. But we're just, we're just wayward in that direction. Many times we will lose the rewards that we have that we will lay down at God's feet. But we will not lose God's salvation. Jesus said to my sheep, who are his sheep? The ones that have come through him as the door and are in his fold. If that's you, say amen. Amen. To them, I give eternal life. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. No man will snatch him out of my hand and no man will snatch him out of the Father's hand. Full circle? That makes me a grateful sheep. Amen? Amen. Let me speak to my college young people that are here, my high school students. Salvation is a work that God does. You heard the pastor. 
Salvation is a work that God does in you. In creating you new. Don't tell me you got saved at five and you live like hell with no conviction and no chastening. And tell me you're a sheep of the shepherd. You cannot have that mindset that says, well, I've got fire insurance. Now I can live for the world. The very fact that I shall never perish makes me want to serve the good shepherd. Change in our hearts and our minds. Tell us plainly. You, I'm speaking to them now. You arrogant fools. Jesus said to them kindly, I have told you. I've done everything I know to do. You just won't believe. If you're here and you're not a Christian and you're waiting for God to do something more, God's probably done everything he can do. You just got to believe. And Christian, his sheep hear his voice. They know him. They follow him. They're secured by him. And they want to serve him. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father God, what a contrast. What a contrast. Jesus said the reason they couldn't hear him because they weren't his sheep. It was willful unbelief. They didn't want to hear. So evidence is that they accused him of being dishonest. And Jesus says, I, I, listen, fellas, I've told you. I've showed you. You're the ones that just won't humble yourself. I wonder today if that's you sitting out there. Or maybe you're hearing the sound of my voice over the internet. God has revealed to you his love, his son, his salvation. You know you need him. And you're sitting there saying, just do a little more. Just do it on my terms. Could you just do it a little bit clearer for me? Jesus would say, I've done everything I know to do. You just got to believe. When you do believe, I give unto my sheep eternal life. And no man will pluck them out of my Father's hand. Eternal security is one of the great blessings of the child of God. It's not something to be mistreated. It's something that would spur us on to victory, spur us on to continue when we fall down to get up. Christian people don't think just because we're saved we can live like hell. We want to live like God intended us for us to live in this new life. Each person in the room, 
has to deal with how the Lord's speaking to them. I wonder, Pastor, I'm here today, and I've never given my heart to Jesus. He's done so much for me. If I look back on my life, he's, I can see where he's been working. And today, I want to open up my heart and give it to him. I want to believe upon him. He's right. He's right. I've been hiding my unbelief and disguising it in doubt, but really and truthfully, I just haven't wanted to believe. But I'm at that point today. Don't embarrass me. Don't call my name. But I want to give my heart to Jesus today. If that's you, and I'd love to pray for you, would you just lift your hand up, slip it up, and put it down? I would never embarrass you or call your name, but I would pray for you. Pastor, pray for me today. I don't see any hand. You'd have to do it higher. Okay. Christian, eternal security should make you a better Christian, not a weaker Christian. It shouldn't give you an excuse for improper behavior. It should implore you to serve the Lord. He's the good shepherd. Where are you with the shepherd today? Maybe you need to humble yourself today. Make sure things are right with you and the Lord. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, you're working. I sense you're working. When you're working, I want to step out of the way. No manipulation. No long invitation. People either going to respond or they're not. So impress upon their heart and their spirit now, God. I pray that you give them courage to come to the altar and let us take a Bible and show them how to be saved. Or if they come for prayer, let them come and get things right with you. Thank you, God, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Our song is only trust him. It's on the screen. Men of God are here, ladies of God, to pray with you if you'd like to. You move as God leads you on verse number one. Only trust him. I just let God finish in our heart. Let me just say this about sin in the life of a believer. Don't let Satan use unconfessed sin to separate you from God. He can't separate you in your salvation. 
but he can separate you and your fellowship and your communion and your trust. When sin comes into our lives, it breaks our communion and our fellowship with God. But nothing ever ought to break our trust with God. God, God's not looking to shoo you. God's looking to draw you to him for confession, for cleansing, and for repentance. The devil will begin to tell you things that aren't true about God. Well, you're not saved anymore. God doesn't want you anymore. God's fed up with you. You're pathetic. You're here again. He's so disappointed in you. How can you disappoint somebody who knows everything all the time? It's not like God said, wow, I'm surprised Rod did that. I never thought he would do that. Everybody in this room would be surprised if Rod did something bad, wouldn't we? It's not like God says, oh, oh, wow. Did you see that? Wow, I didn't, I, I didn't see that coming. He's God. And he gave his life for the sheep. He loves the sheep. And he will restore the sheep. Don't let Satan build distrust in your life toward the good shepherd. You don't have to come forward for this. Let's do one. Just let it finish in our hearts now. Yes, Jesus is the truth, the way. Our song to go home is the chorus of Go Tell It on the Mountain. See you Wednesday night next Sunday. God bless you as we prepare to celebrate the Christmas season. Go tell it on the mountain Over the hills and everywhere Go tell it on the mountain That Jesus Christ is born God bless you all. You are dismissed.